Do, do you, you don't have sinkholes in Australia, do you? No, we just have animals that kill us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just have a number of... Only, uh, um, that's all that's needed. Yeah. <laughs> you could restore it all. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All Podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. I have with me, wrong way, go far, Prasanna Maliande. How's it going, Prasanna? I'm good, Curtis. I I don't remember that episode from no, Psych. No, that's not, that's not, that's not a Psych reference. That's a, that's a my dad reference. That was one oh. of my, one of my dad's <laughs> favorite silly nicknames for random people. Wrong way, go far. That was his random nickname. But uh, so <laughs> shout out to my dad, who I am 4,000% con- uh, convinced is not listening to this podcast. But um, <laughs> you never just, know. You just, never know. That's just not happening. Well, if he is, <laughs> hey, dad, how's it going? <laughs> uh, by the way, I'll record our disclaimer. You know, the, the persona and I do work for Druva. This is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are ours. So the big news over here at the Preston House. I have scheduled my second vaccine shot. Ooh, nice. Yeah, no, I think for us, they're finally starting to open up for appointments. But in the Bay Area, it's almost impossible. From what I could tell, you're just sitting there constantly clicking refresh, 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 hoping to actually see an appointment available. So we'll see. Hopefully soon I'll be in line. Yeah, that's why I tried so hard to get in in the before they open it up everybody else crowd, <laughs> right? So I had mm. I had two <laughs> ways in which I qualified early for uh, for the vaccine. Don't have to go into those reasons, but I qualified to get the vaccine before the rest of you know the populace, and and because once they opened it up to fifty and above down here, yeah, the the appointments Everyone. all disappeared. <laughs> Um, was one of the reasons we don't have to go into it because you're Mr. Backup. You're famous. Yeah, that's what is that was. why? That's what it was. It's because I'm Mr. Backup. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. You know I'm Mr. Backup, right? I like I am I am the backup of the world. I need to be vaccinated. Exactly. What do you think? Yeah, I don't I think. think that- um, <laughs> I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that would work. But that must be anybody. exciting to have the second vaccine signed up for and yeah it is i am super yeah super excited and uh when when i when i get it and then my wife gets it she she has hers a little bit behind mine and then once that's done i think we're i think i'm gonna cook a brisket and uh nice that we'll, sounds like we'll, a good celebration we'll do a celebratory brisket mm-hmm. but um I want to bring on our our guest. He is a repeat guest. I believe this is his second time on our podcast. He is uh, an industry veteran and now a co-author uh, of my upcoming book, Modern Data Protection. He's been in the industry a long time. He is the uh, head of technology at Digital Sense. He's also a blogger at penguinpunk.net. Welcome to the podcast, Dan Frith. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me along. Thanks for joining us so early in your morning. <laughs> yeah, what time is it over there right now? Oh, it's uh, it's just before seven now. So, oh, Lord have mercy. You're you're probably used to getting up because you're used to working with Yankees. We're closer to the sun at times, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I'm just going to jump right in and say thank you so much for the work that you put in to contribute to a chapter on. Uh, in the book? Oh, you're welcome. It was a it was a lot of fun to get involved. It was a really cool project. So thanks. Hi, it's W. Curtis Preston again, and I'm editing this podcast several weeks after we recorded it, and I'm excited to tell you that my new book, O'Reilly's Modern Data Protection, is now available in both print and ebook format, as well as available on the O'Reilly platform. It's a book that I have wanted to write for. I. I'm going to say over 10 years, and it, it basically gives a description of the entire data protection industry. It, uh, it first explains, you know, the reasons we back up. Then we talk about the um, all of the things that you need to back up, which will include things like cloud providers and the the, the topic of conversation today. 
then all of the places and things and methods and uh, product categories of the various different ways that you can both backup and archive your data. We cover archive, data protection, backup. We There's a chapter in there on uh, how to um, get your requirements and turn those requirements into, you know, get your requirements from the business units and to turn those requirements into a product requirements document that you can use to purchase a backup product. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about this. And, and uh, Dan, who is our guest on the podcast this week, is um, he wrote one of the chapters for me. He wrote the chapter on uh, the difference between backup and archive. I secured a uh, discount for listeners of this podcast. You can get 35% off the, um, the price of the book by using the discount code MDP35. That's MDP35. Uh, by going and purchasing it directly from O'Reilly.com. But you do need to use the a link that is in the uh, show description in order to get that discount. So again, you can get 35% off on the book uh, by using the code MTP35 uh, at the link that you can find in the show description. So I'm going to take you back to the podcast, Dan and Persona. One of the things that you know that I push a lot is to make sure that people know the difference between backup and archive. Um, maybe we should just do an episode on that <laughs> at some point. Maybe we should just talk about um, it right now. You think we should just talk about it right now? Yeah. Why don't we quickly no. talk about no, it? No, no, we... no. We'll, we'll, we'll book that for it. Cause then uh, <laughs> okay. I, I got to let Dan go read his own chapter uh, and, <laughs> and study ahead. Um, so uh, besides we had a plan. I can't just, I can't just abandon the plan persona. What That's kind true. of bedlam would that cause? <laughs> I want to talk about what happened at OVH, which at this point, it's now over a month, right? Um, because I'm looking at an article March 21st, and it said it happened on March 10th. So we're looking at just about a month ago that... So for those of you that don't what know, say, OVH yeah. <laughs> Cloud is a cloud provider in uh strasbourg oh chugging how does a city in france have a name like strasbourg <laughs> are you familiar with europe at, at all no <laughs> okay so are you is it not pronounced strasbourg no it's 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 like that but strasbourg oh okay it's it's fairly straightforward you know just <laughs> fairly straightforward parlez vous français i do yes oh oui, oui. okay Okay, well, uh, no parlez-vous français. Uh, no, 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 no. I don't know. I don't even know how to say I don't speak French. In French, I can say, you know what I can say in French, Dan? Tell me, tell me. It, well, besides, besides the sentence that every American knows, thanks to the song, <laughs> okay, and I'm not going to say that sentence right now, uh, I can say, parlez-vous anglais, s'il vous plaît? Please, will you please speak English for me? <laughs> This, Silly this American. is going nowhere fast. So, yeah, so American. Hey, you know what? I thought when I thought when I went to France, the fact that I did not assume that the person I was speaking to spoke English. I but I but I definitely don't speak French. So I'm like, parlez-vous anglais? The answer 99% of the time was, but of course, because you're an American and you can't speak French. So I will speak <laughs> English for you, you idiot. So yes, yeah, so OVH Cloud had a day or well at this point, or had a data center in Strasbourg. I'm not going to try to say it with the French accent, in France. And there was a fire on March 10th, which I, I haven't seen. Have you seen actual photos of the of the fire? I have, yeah. And the, it, it did not look pretty, right? It, it was just... Not. And theirs was weird, too, because their data centers were like storage containers, right? Or shipping containers, correct? Yeah, yeah. they'd started with that as the... I think that was one of the earlier um, implementations of that model. And they were, I think they were planning on doing some more work and... Yeah. Yeah, they said that the, the SBG2 building burnt down on March 10th after a second smaller fire caused smoke in a battery room on Friday night, the French cloud operator announced it was will not restart SBG1. It will move the servers to other OVH data centers on the same site and elsewhere's, elsewhere. Because um, I think they had like four buildings, like SBG1 through four, right? And I think a couple yeah. of them were affected, right? One and two, three and four, they thought could skate by, but I thought I read that maybe 
one of the other ones might have been affected as well. Yeah, it looks like it says it thinks it, it started in a UPS. That's that's just that's ironic, isn't it? That the piece of equipment that was meant to provide you with unending power is the thing that took everything out. <laughs> it's the sort of thing that as a data center operator, you just <clears throat> you you always hope it never happens to you, right? But it's it's a bit like Sod's law, isn't it? Yeah, and it well. And I think all of us have enough, like I, I, I feel for these folks. I, I, I don't see anything when I read the story, I don't see, oh, well, they didn't turn off the doom of Slatchy, right? I, I, I don't see anything they, they had a, an equipment malfunction that caused a massive conflagration that basically took out the entire data center. Right. Um, I've been, when I, when I think about UPS, I think about, uh, I remember being in a data center when they were working on our UPS and then somebody, they were working on it live, right? <laughs> they, were, they were changing a car as the car drove down the freeway, right? They were literally working on the UPS as the UPS was live in the data center during the middle of the workday and, and someone working in the um, UPS flipped it off. They just, they just turned off the UPS, right? And causing, of course, all the power to go out in the data center and then immediately flipped it back up. And everybody was like, no, right? Uh, so it, it caused a power spike and bad things can happen. Uh, what, what, do you what, what do you think we can learn from this? But before we get into, say, the data protection aspects, what are some best practices that I, because I know you, you work with a data center. You, you've, I'm, I'm sure that you're, you're constantly worried about things like fire. Yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a... <clears throat> Excuse me. A broader conversation to be had with everyone in in business around what what IT means to them in terms of uh, people are, are super super keen to consume cloud infrastructure as a service, those kinds of things. But that doesn't necessarily, you know, you outsource the the hosting of the tin or the doing of the activities for you, but that doesn't outsource the risk for you. It doesn't no. doesn't magically take away some of the issues that you could. Experience. I mean, it's we uh, you know doing disaster recovery planning for for customers. They go, oh well, that's never going to happen. You go, well, that happened. That happened five years ago. What are you talking about? That's never going to happen. You know, there's, there's so many stories that that everyone who's been in the industry for a while goes, yeah, the the UPS went dark, and the the guy whose job it was to put the diesel in the generator. He took the day off. So when the generators kicked in, they didn't kick in. Oh. It's always like that, right? It's always like a series of things, you know, the perfect storm, as they call it, right? It's like this happened and because this happened and because this happened all at the same time. My favorite story about that was uh, when I first started, which you you read the book. So you, you, do you remember where I talked about the when the bank network went offline because we had a, a freak snowstorm? At the same time as the World Trade Center was attacked the first time, right? The, 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 because the Cirrus network was in both Dallas and in the uh, the basement of the World Trade Center, where the, the I don't know if you remember this when a guy put a van with fertilizer or whatever, and they, he did a ban, and and basic two totally unrelated things happening on the opposite sides of the country. It took out the Cirrus ATM network for like a week. Uh, oddly enough, that event happened two weeks after I started my career in data protection. And that event colored everything for me from, from that point on. Whenever anybody said, well, that would never happen, I would just go, well, let me tell you about that. <laughs> Let me tell you about this time when two totally unrelated things uh, happened. Have you got anything like that? Were you? Yeah. So I uh, early in my career, I'd been sort of peripherally involved in data protection because I was young, and they usually hand it to the person with the least experience because they didn't want to change the tapes. They do, right? And then as I moved into consulting, um, <clears throat> I've probably told this story before. A company I, I started consulting for, they had had just put in a new system with a, a nice big tape library and. Uh, some some bit of backup to disk, and they, they were just moving to VMware, so it was all very, you know, a typical, I guess, modern transformation story. Mm -hmm. And what had happened is one of the executives had done a, a bit of a data center tour, and the tape library was one where you could open the door in it, and when you open the door, the, the arm would drop to the yeah. the floor because that was obviously that's the safety thing, and then when you close the door, theoretically, you would need to fire the software reset the arm so it would go back to normal operation. 
Mm-hmm. What had happened is the person looking after the software had gone on leave for an extended period of time. <laughs> the guy filling in for him didn't really know how to drive the system. And as a result, they were the, the basically backups weren't happening and, and no one was checking. So in and of itself, that's not a problem if nothing goes wrong. But then what right. had happened is uh, some data was being stored on a, a RAID 5 DAS and a disk had failed. So the gentleman came out to replace the disk, pulled the wrong disk. Oof. So as a result, Double he's zapped that file system. Yep. So three totally unrelated events, basically, right? Exactly, right. Yeah. And, it, and it always yeah. comes down to people, you know, if you, and it was, you know, the, the executive opening the door was probably silly, but hindsight being what it was, he didn't really know that that was going to be a bad thing. And then this other guy should have been checking, but he didn't know. So if he didn't know, what do you do? And then the other guy pulling the wrong disc, well, that, that that's happened. You know, that happens. Um, I remember working on some of those systems in the old days and it wasn't always clear which which wire you needed to cut, right? <laughs> when you're there sweating bullets. and They didn't have the little blinky lights on the hard disks. Exactly. And you make the assumption that the backups are working. The backup guy makes the assumption that no one's going to pull the wrong disk out of a you know a couple of hundred gigabytes of data. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, so, that, so that's how I got my really my consulting start with data protection was was helping these this this organization understand the value of process and and checklists and getting the right people doing mm. the right stuff right enabling their staff to be successful because you can't just throw people to the wolves and go good luck now in your as you were helping these customers sort of work, walk through that process when they actually came around to testing that process did they go all the way to like the final step in testing things? Or for instance, um, you were talking about the guy who forgot to fill the diesel generator, right? I think Curtis brought that example, right? In that case, did they actually go to say, okay, is everything done all the way till the end? Or do they just kind of say, oh yeah, can I fail over and get back my data? Like how far did people normally go in terms of testing? Yeah, so my, my experience, I guess, probably 10 years ago, people were, were going... There was there was two camp, two camps almost. There was the ones who were willing to go, yeah, we're going to have a weekend outage and we're going to test this and make sure we can move a workload over to another data center and, and bring it back up and we'll run off that for a few weeks and then you know next month we'll we'll flip it back and and then we validate it. Those are those are usually like the the fintech, the the big banks, those kind of guys. They they take that stuff really seriously because there's regulatory compliance you know, considerations and all that stuff. And there's also, then there's just, also like massive financial, uh, not just penalties, penalties but like, like, um, uh, ramifications of being down yeah. for a day. If you're a big FinTech company, right. Not just regulations, but literally yeah. you lose millions of dollars of business. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's not just fines. It's, you just can't do business. If you can't do business, you can't make money and it all goes, all goes badly, and then there was another. I guess the other school of thought is that oh, we'll we'll, we'll do this inside of, sort of a bubble. We'll simulate an error, mm-hmm. and, and I think I think over time some of that simulation it, it's really effective in terms of pleasing, you know, the the auditors. But it's not always that great in terms of the the reality of the situation. So when when you're in one of those situations, you don't normally have the comfort of sitting in the same comfy chair that you normally did. You don't always have all the same people around you. Your networking consideration, you know, situation is usually a little bit different. So, mm-hmm. all of these things, these facts, you, you may be. Uh, I've done stuff like that where, you, you know, roads have been cut off and people are a bit stressed, and that's why you need the chaos monkey. Exactly. I remember Curtis, the story you used to tell about the your DR book and how the person had to deal with the failover or disaster without having to talk to you? Yeah, you did not use the person who actually ran the backup system to execute the DR test, right? It had to be had to be someone else. And I, I still think that's a, a great idea, right? That you should have a run book, you should have procedure that they follow, and then you should hand it to, you know, someone capable, right? Not a, you know, not the, you know, the secretary who's never touched a root password in their, their life, but you, uh, but someone who's a, technically capable person, but not the person running the backup system and let them, let them run it. Right. I do. I, I think this, this, that issue of testing has gotten a hundred times better in the last say 10 years uh, d- due to the cloud number one, and also due to companies like uh, I'll give Veeam credit. Veeam 
uh, was the first company I remember having automated testing at at scale, right? You could create a recovery group and you had to, you know, they could basically bring all those VMs up in a, in a, what do you call that? A, a bubble. An isolated network. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Isolated network, what I guess would be the, the formal term. And, uh, and, and verify that your backups actually work. That was like a fantasy when I was, you know, when I was a young lad, that was a fantasy, right? Of being able to actually test your backups like that. And I think that's become a much more common idea, right? Um, of, of automated think, testing. I think it's good, but I think it also leads to people becoming complacent because they think, oh, I have the ability to test this. So I'm just going to run a test quickly, check it off and say, yes, everything's good to go. But there might be other parts of their infrastructure that they aren't testing with, like network settings, potentially an active directory. What does that lead to? DNS, right? There's all well, these I, other things that doesn't truly uh, simulate a real disaster. The, the, the um, you know, you, you make a good point, uh, persona, because, you know, we've had yes. a few people. Oh, shut up. <laughs> one, you've made one good point in a hundred episodes. You've made, I'll take that. You've made, <laughs> you've made, you've made a you good point. You heard that. You heard that. that <laughs> yeah. Remember, I'm the editor. I could just take this out. Um, so, um, with the people that we talked to who had actually participated in disasters, the problems were in neither of their case, the problem was never the backup software, right? The, the backup software did its work, restored the data. Their problem was Active Directory or they couldn't find a place to sleep, right? Um, power you know, or the, communications. Yeah. Power, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I Dan, have you... Have you um, have you seen any interesting things like that where, where where you go to do a you go to do a big restore, whether it's a test or not, and something weird gets in your way that had nothing to do with the backups? Yeah, invariably, it, uh, to your point before, it's all about the supporting infrastructure. So, mm -hmm. in, in our um, in our environment, when we're doing stuff for customers, it's usually there'll be something like NTP or DNS. Yeah. Are usually big big ones for us. Um, that would be the network time protocol and the... Sorry, yes, the domain name system. D DNS, I'm guessing um, most everybody listening to this knows what, but NTP, maybe not. So what is NTP again? The network time protocol. So it basically keeps everything in sync. Yeah, so all the machines have to be at the same time, basically. It's it's also, uh, I guess, as a, you're working at a service provider, it's about complicated networks to an extent. So... People come in on a certain network and they expect a certain certain things to be available for them in that network. And so if they haven't provisioned authentication correctly or they've got weird routing set up or someone's put a manual IP address in a host file somewhere, which still happens, to, you know, because they've, they've had to do a workaround. Yeah. That's just wrong. People still editing a because you could still do that on a Mac or a Windows box or or a Linux box. You you can't stop people doing stuff. That's that's the thing. So <laughs> well, people well, that, are going to do. Yeah, that's a common. Things. Like if we could just get rid of the users, right? Computers would run much yeah. more reliably. And but in those cases, it's like even understanding why did it fail gets complex, right? They're like, oh, everything showed up, but for a user, they're like, my app isn't working. Why is the app not working? Yeah, and and so I, I used to. I think when I first started in, in data protection, I, I had this feeling that it was always the vendor's fault somehow that they were they were doing there was so many so many bugs in software. And I I, I think to an extent that's that's probably a little unfair on the vendors because it really what I've seen over the last twenty plus years is that it's it's invariably people using the software the wrong way, or they've just they've just yeah. tweaked one little thing, or they've <clears> you know it's this. Um, well, the number of times where I I you know, in my years of helping people make their backup systems better, right? I would go in, I say, well, I've taken a look at, uh, you know, I've taken a look at your, your system and the problem doesn't appear to be either software or hardware. Then <laughs> I just pause. <laughs> They're like, wait, They're like, what? what? Well, what's left? We're like, well, it's sort of a wetware problem. <laughs> they were like, some people would get that joke, but not everybody would. Yeah, it, it's almost always, at least in my my experience over the years. I mean, yes, there are plenty of bugs, right? There are plenty of bugs, and there are plenty of features that behave like bugs. I mean, I still to this day, I, I think of NetBackup 3.2 in 1999, and me writing 150 custom shell scripts to work around all of the new features 
quote unquote, <laughs> that were in NetBackup 3.2 because we'd call in to report a bug and they're like, well, that's working as designed. Well, there goes another custom shell script, right? But what I would see a lot is I would see people switch from, let's say, Networker back in the day, switch from Networker to NetBackup. And then NetBackup wouldn't work well. And it was because they were trying to make NetBackup behave like Networker. Right. They were configuring oh, yeah. they were configuring yeah. net backup the way they used to configure networker rather than learn how to properly configure net backup. Yeah. The the number of arguments I've well, arguments, the number of challenging conversations I've had with customers where I've said <laughs> and, 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 You sound like a consultant when you say that. <laughs> Not, there and, weren't arguments, and, and, they were just challenging conversations. Anyway, yeah, yeah. And we we'd move across from we'd we'd go in and we'd we'd take out one product and we put in a, a competing product and, and right. having that conversation with them about when they want, well, we have 37 schedules on this. Why don't we have that on here? Mm-hmm. Because you don't need that. You actually just want to do, you know, you want four groups of machines that you want to protect at these times. Mm-hmm. We've met that for you. And then you bring in, I guess the, the next gen, what we call the next generation backup stuff where it's, it's all policy driven. It's just, here's, here's my outcomes I need. And people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have to run this at twelve oh five because that's when my, you know, control M script kicks off, and then I can do this. And you go, okay, but what are you actually trying to achieve with all that stuff? Because maybe, just maybe, we could we could strip some of that back for you and make life a little simpler. And then you see, some people are right into it. They're like, "Yep, yeah, this is great. I'm, I'm I definitely want to get on board with the you know the modern way of doing things, and mm-hmm. I want to make life easier and stuff." But for some people, and <clears throat> I guess this challenge goes across the industry. They they get this look in their eyes like. Please don't take this away from me. It's all I've got. It's all I know. I don't. I, I don't want to learn anything else. I don't want to do anything else. I just want to. It's, it gets a little dark there, right? You know, it's um. So, some people like, they can't see their way out of out of that. So it's we, we talk about that sometimes at Druva because we talk about how we we make backup so much easier that you don't have to worry about the back end, right? That 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 we handle the back end, right? And um, and we talk about the fact that sometimes we're working a, a backup admin out of their job and they might actually like their job. Let's get back to OVH. So we talked about sort of the lesson. I think one of the things with the OVH is even though they lost or even though they had the fire, right, with the UPS, I think the more disastrous part that is talked about in the articles is the fact that customers lost their data, right? They were not able to recover. Isn't it OVH's responsibility to back up the customer's data? Why? <laughs> I'm being devil's advocate. Normally I'm the other guy. Yeah. Go for it, Dan. Well, no, I mean, it is very much all care, no responsibility. And that's that's the thing about ticking the the box on the end user license agreement. You don't you don't necessarily outsource your risk. You don't outsource that that part of your business magically to just because the tin is hosted in someone else's racks. It's, and I think it's something that isn't understood by a lot of people until it goes badly for them. And it's easy to say as well, I guess that, you know, let, let's architect these app, these applications for multiple availability zones and let's do this protection activity here and there. But then you dig into some of these, these enterprises that are using this stuff and you go, Oh, I haven't seen an application like that for 15 years. Still works, huh? And they go, yeah, that's our most critical line of business app. We don't touch it. Well, or how are you going to protect that with something? You know, that you, when they say cloud, they just mean it's on an x86 box somewhere. It's not, you know, it's not really sitting in any kind of cloud cloud architecture. So those kind of challenges, I think, are the the thing that it's. That's why I guess you know, to, to your point about yeah, sure, OVA shouldn't they? They're not responsible for this stuff. But I don't know that every customer is going into these situations with their eyes open in the same way that when things go wrong on their own on-prem stuff, they go, Oh, but weren't you backing it up? The the amount of times that I've worked in places where they were deploying new applications. And if the software wasn't geared, you know, configured to pick up these new applications automatically, they could go for months before we realized, Oh, you wanted that thing restored. We we never protected that. Yeah. I, I think an IT person, should be looking at all of the places that your company is doing tech stuff, right? <laughs> right. So that, that that that's a giant category that that includes data centers, that includes laptops, that includes uh, IAS. I wish that was I wish that was anything other than infrastructure because it, I I can't pronounce that as a word IAS. But like PaaS and SaaS and all those things. The question is, 
there there are there are a couple of different things that you need to be able to protect from, right? One is what happened at OVH. How is my data being regularly copied to some other physical location that if a giant fire takes out, you know, this container and the container next to it. I grew up in Florida and Florida had these things called sinkholes where basically a, a few city blocks would literally just and then they were gone, right? Um, I, do, do, you don't have sinkholes in Australia, do you? No, we just have animals that kill us. Yeah. <laughs> you just have a number of only. Uh, that's um, all that's needed. Yeah, but but in Florida, there they have the, it's it's built on limestone, and because of that, what happens or what can happen is multiple city blocks can literally just suddenly get sucked back into the earth, and whatever was there can just disappear. So one, you protect against that, right? And then number two is you need to protect against something that logically attacks your data. That Because if, you, if, if your answer to the first question is simply replication, then you need to ask the second question, which is, so what happens if somebody deletes everything or encrypts everything? And that gets, you know, that that either that mistake or that attack gets replicated to my other location. How are we protecting against that? I don't think that people ask that for each of the, to go back to an earlier statement you said, I think that they people think, oh, well, that would never happen in this scenario. Yeah. And I think that's why um, we, we talked at the, the start of the show about the difference between data protection and oh, backup and archive. And then I think mm -hmm. another thing is that that business continuity and DR conversation, I, I think that needs to be it seems to be quite popular nowadays to sort of jam that all together because that's just the that's the insurance part of the the, the data bit, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone mm -hmm. just goes, oh well, that just goes in the same bucket. But I think they're very different things. That you know, the technologies associated with that stuff, and the way you have to recover from stuff, and the the, the volume of data you need to recover, the circumstances, all that stuff is very different in a DR scenario as opposed to right. just a a periodic restore. So I think people need to in their heads be able to sort of separate some of those things not because it's cooler or because it's you know we want to make it more complicated but i think that they're they can achieve very different things and if people don't understand what they're actually trying to achieve then it makes it hard to achieve that back to one of the points curtis said earlier i know we've been talking specifically about ovh but everything we've talked about so far can apply to even customers running their workloads on say vmware cloud on aws or on aws or gcp or azure right the fact that you have your workload running in Azure, unless you're actively protecting it or in AWS, making sure it's replicated offsite, taking periodic snapshots, all the rest of that, right? Your data is at risk there as it would be in OVH. Have I waited long enough? Can I bring up my my argument <laughs> my argument from last night? <laughs> so because it also play, pertains to SaaS providers. Okay, because I, I completely agree with you, Persona, but I, I, I just can't not bring up this. What did you call it, uh, Dan? What did you call it? A challenging conversation. I had a challenging conversation with a person on on the other side of this argument that thinks that he, he thinks that like his overriding sort of mantra is that he thinks that that backup vendors use fear too much to sell their product. I just wanted to go, like, are you familiar with backup? Like what it does? I mean, it's literally the only reason we have. Like without fear, no one buys backup, right? If you're not scared of losing all your data, you're not gonna spend, you know, all the money that you need to spend to do. Or the fact that it could actually happen, right? It's not like it's this mythical thing that can never, ever, ever, ever happen, right? He likes to bring up how replicated Microsoft 365 is, how, you know, how they have three replicated copies of Exchange Online and how that they have, uh, you know, a delayed replication copy and how that they, you know, all these, all these great sounding technical things to which I want to say, those sound amazing are they perfect? Are they impervious to the two things I mentioned before, right? Maybe they're impervious to a fire or a sinkhole or a, an atomic bomb in San Francisco or whatever. Maybe they're impervious to that because they've replicated across regions. But are they impervious to attack from a, from a black hat? 
I, I just, I just, I don't understand this idea of people who are that trusting. And then to that, I add the fact that you're entirely comfortable with relying on Microsoft and other SaaS providers. But for some, I don't know why it, it seems to be the Microsoft crowd that seems to be pushing this idea more than others. Why are you relying on Microsoft to provide a service that is specifically not mentioned in your service agreement, number one, and number two, is specifically sort of spoken against in the shared responsibility model, right? Nothing Microsoft has ever written down that I can find says that they will help you if one of these horrible things like OVH or whatever, there's nothing in the service agreement that says that they will do that for you. I don't understand why why I'm always in this argument with people using SaaS products. I don't know. What do you think, Dan? I think uh, I think they've they sprinkled a bit of magic unicorn dust on the on the SaaS idea and said, yep, we're going to, we're going to be able to do everything that we weren't able to do for you on premises. So when you've moved your mail service from, from your data center to the cloud, we're suddenly going to add in all this resilience and, and make it amazing. Yeah. And, and, and I, it is super resilient. Well, except for the fact that it's gone down like for an entire day twice this year, but whatever, you know, <laughs> super resilient other than that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think most of most people are starting to realize that they just they just need to take a little bit more responsibility for their own. They they can be the uh, I guess they can they can determine their own fate in this. They can they can leave it to the the software gods as it were and and hope that nothing ever goes wrong, or they can actually say how hey, I'm going to protect my data because it's important to me. It's how I make my money or how I deliver my service or right, right. why I exist. And or I'm they gonna... can go, hey, I don't care if all of my email and all of my files you know, in OneDrive, go away one day. I'm sure we'll be fine. I'm sure nothing is important in there. And how many right? companies have closed because of that, Curtis? <laughs> yeah, a few. I, I do worry. I don't know. And the thing is, there have been incidents. Uh, by the way, I call it Microsoft 363 at this point. Um, because <laughs> you know you have why, that domain right? name? <laughs> no, no. Because, you know, because they keep going down. So they, they can't be called Microsoft 365. Called my if they get any words, it's going to be Microsoft 362. And, and the thing is, we're we're not talking about a ton of money to protect these services, right? Like you know, our our lowest level thing is a couple of bucks a user. It's less expensive than the product. The ones I really don't get are the ones who pay for E5, Microsoft E5. the The difference between E3 and E5 is fifteen dollars a user per month for half that. I know, you know, and I know we're not, we're not the only product that's like this, but for half that we could do everything that E3 to E5 does and we would have it offsite. Right. Uh, so I don't, you know, I don't understand that people that push not to do it. Do you understand me, Dan? Well, I do to a, an extent because I've, I've witnessed this behavior in enterprise before where it's not necessarily about what the most technically appropriate or the most logical choice is. It's about what gives the C, CIO the warm fuzzies when they, you know, when they pick a solution, they go, are we Microsoft all the way? They go, yeah, 100%, 100% Microsoft we're, or 100% Google or 100% Salesforce or whatever. We're, we're yeah. doing what they tell us to do. Right. And we're not deviating from that because they might come back and tell us we're doing it wrong later. And then all this time and effort we've invested in that will be for now. So that's, true. that's kind of some of that mentality. That is an interesting one because, you know, when you think about Microsoft, and I think you alluded to it earlier, the, for example, Microsoft pushed a long time that you couldn't do exchange on network storage. You had to do exchange on locally attached disk. And if you did anything other than that and something went wrong, then you're on your own. You know, it's hands off. Yeah, you're on your own. Yeah. Like like the early days of, of server virtualization, x86 virtualization, I guess, yeah. you know, oh, you can't run these apps on VMware. You have to run it on. You know, if there's a problem, you'll have to replicate that problem on a, on on PMware, as it were. And nowadays, obviously, that's gone away. PMware, physical machine. Oh, where. okay. I'd never heard it called PMware before. Is that a? Oh, it was just a joke between myself and it's <laughs> and three people. <laughs> it's not as not as funny when you have to explain it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I just I don't I I understand. Uh, number one, I totally get it that backup stinks and no one wants to do it. That, that's been the one sort of universal truth that, that you know, you mentioned how that you got your start in backup, as did I, right? Um, so did Persona, but he's never done a real backup. He's always been on the, on the vendor side. Oh, Curtis, you like to pour salt on that wound, don't you? Yeah, whatever, you know. Um, <laughs> he's, never, he's never actually fired a weapon in battle. You know what I'm saying? 
he stood around and looked at guns and I don't know. Sorry. I, I, I'm an American. I turned it into a gun analogy. Sorry. <laughs> That's very American of me. Anyway, we, we were going somewhere before I, so yeah, so that's the universal truth is that, that, that nobody wants to do backup. So what I do understand is people that are, because there is no official like written or even spoken or even blogged position from Microsoft on this issue. But I know that, uh, there are TAMs out there, technical account managers that are telling people basically come to us and we'll handle resiliency and we'll handle you. You don't have to worry about backup anymore. I know those conversations have happened because, because people have told me that their TAM told them that it's never in writing. So I understand you don't want to do backup. And then you're told if you move exchange to 365, you can stop having to worry about backup, at least for this critical service. I just really worry when I see things happen, like what happened at, like what happened at OVH, like what happened at, there, there was a, I don't know, uh, Dan, I don't know if you heard the story, but there was a, a G Suite customer, now now Google Workspace. It was a G Suite customer in the Bay Area. Their admin accidentally deleted their main account, not that he thought he was deleting the test account and he deleted the main account and he basically wiped out the entire company's G Drive. And they were a true cloud company. So they weren't using G Drive like to sync. They had all their stuff online in the cloud in G Drive, and this guy deleted it. And literally overnight, their entire company's intellectual property ceased to exist. And then they sued Google because Google didn't have a backup of it. And you know that lawsuit's going nowhere because there's nothing in a service agreement. I, I just I think about stories like that, and I just I I just I don't. It, it kills me when I see people lose data. It kills me that I know that, you know, they're mentioning that customers at OVH, that some customers have lost their data because maybe they even had backups. Maybe they were doing the equivalent of EBS snapshots, but they weren't copying those snapshots to another region, right? So they were all sitting there in the same, uh, literally in the same physical container. But by the way, Persona, thanks for that added color. I didn't realize they were those, because I've seen data centers built like that, right? Where they're uh, in those containers. Um, and, and then, so they were making backups, but they weren't getting them off site. This is why I have to go back to my favorite little thing, which is what persona three, two, one rule, the three, two, one rule. <laughs> yeah. So like, I know get, it off the know, top of my versions, three versions on two different media, one of which is somewhere else. Like it, you, and, and that's what, that's what I, like, why is that so hard to understand? It's such a basic, and again, that same person who I had that challenging conversation with, he says the three, two, one rule is old school. I'm, I'm being old school. I'm like, yeah, well, E equals MC squared is old school too, but you don't say, you don't hear physics majors trying to say it doesn't apply anymore. I think sometimes with the three, two, one stuff as well, people expect that, oh, you guys are just talking about tape again. Oh, we're tapes dead. We don't do tape anymore. And I don't think that's the case at all, right? No. It's really just about, about having it in multiple, you know, yeah, multiple yeah. different uh, yeah. zones, and then copy off site, and 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 not relying on snapshots on a, a backup. All the things that we take is axiomatic. It, the sad thing is, I, I I think about this is that a lot of these problems, <clears throat> and it, and it is easy to just come in at the last, you know, after after the fact and go with hindsight being what it is. Oh, of course you would have just put this over here, and but the, the real challenge is that a lot of the, these organizations. The people doing this stuff aren't given the opportunity to to make that stuff happen. So all these avoidable mistakes aren't avoidable in a sense because the the organization is just heading in. It's it's speeding down the highway and it's going to hit that concrete wall, regardless of you know what you tell them to do. You tell them to slow down or you tell them to go here or there. They go well. No, I'm just gonna I'm going for it. I think the worst thing is that most people don't seem to get it until they've lost something themselves. And now if you're in an organization where if, if, if it was a gigabyte of data and data is obviously more or less valuable based on its size, but you lose a gigabyte, well, okay, that, that's probably some documents you could, hopefully you can recreate those and, and away you go, hopefully. But if you lose a petabyte of something, that's, that's, Game over. that's bad. You're in for, you're, you're having a bad day, right? It's all, it's all over. So the, I think the scale of the impact of some of this stuff too is, 
And and I guess when we started in the industry, or you bless you a little bit older than I am, but the amount of data, that, the amount of stuff that was data as opposed to physical records or that had physical, mm. you know, photocopies of stuff. So when I started in the industry, there was the data on the file server, but then there was a, uh, you know, archives of actual documents in folders Copies, that right. a records management team was looking after. And when you say folders, you mean actual manila folders, not... Yeah, actual manila folders in filing cabinets everywhere and... Not on a folder, it's on a file system. That's right. So so even if you did lose what was on the file server, theoretically, you get a lot of this corporate information back mm-hmm. because you had physical copies of stuff. Now those physical copies are really sitting in, um, you know, electronic document records management systems and they're not... They don't exist in a physical form because I do that with my my personal stuff now. I get important documents sent to me. I scan them. I throw out the original, and I just think that's that's easier. That's that's how we're going. But you have so completed the digital I... transformation of your life. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> nothing nothing is real anymore. Things. It's just ones and yeah. zeros now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's more accessible and easier to use. So I, I, I I'm just going to go back to what I said before. Just take a look at, you know, you use this incident, you use OVH as a cautionary tale and say, how are, there are two things, this really isn't that hard. There are two things that can happen to your data. Either it gets physically wiped out or it gets electronically damaged in some way. Make sure you're protecting against what happened to OVH, which was an electron, I'm sorry, which was a physical damage to the entire data center. Make sure that you're protecting against that. And that's about getting a copy of your data somewhere else in some other physical location, which means at least in cloud world, it means getting it into another region, right? And then the other is um, protect it against electronic attacks. And I think if you do both of those things, and by the way, the protecting el- against electronic attacks, that's about putting multiple levels of protection between the primary thing that you're protecting and the protection, right? Don't have them be in the same data center on the same OS, you know, with the same username and password, right? Don't use your domain name, you know, don't use your your active direct, your usual active directory admin password is the admin password on your backup server, for example, separating as much as you can the protection from the protected. Um, I don't know. Does that does that sound like summarize what we're talking about? Yeah, it's about isolation and making sure you can protect yourself, right? So from these various yeah. failures, don't just think about one failure. And in the case of OVH, right, don't keep things from one container into another container on that same site. That's not going to help you, as you saw in the case of the fire. By the way, did you know that Don Quixote referenced the the uh, the three two one rule? Did you know that? No. Did Abraham Lincoln quote that to you on the internet? Or No, no. Here's an actual quote from Don Quixote. It is the part of a wise man to keep himself today for tomorrow, a.k.a. make a backup, and not to venture all his eggs in one basket. I'm just saying. Don Quixote was, would, be a, would have been a fan of the 321 That's what I'm saying. The persona, uh, I see you like looking off into the sky. Yeah, and I'm just thinking if and it really uh, meets the three, two, one job. rule or not. Okay, I'm just saying he would be <laughs> a fan of the three, two, one rule. Is what I'm saying. You don't put all your eggs in one basket. I mean, that's true. Yeah, you know. I mean, I know that's an old school term because you know we don't even put our eggs in a basket. Now that's an old school term, but it still well, we makes sense. We don't keep our daughter in eggs anymore, do we? <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. All right. Well, Dan, thanks. Thanks for coming on the podcast again. Well, thanks very much for having me. It was a it was great to chat with you guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Curtis. <laughs> it's always it's always fun. Always fun talking about backups. And uh, and uh, I hope that you folks listening had uh, a good time too, or learned a lesson or two. If you'd like to join us on the podcast sometime, feel free to reach out to me at WC Preston on Twitter or wcurtispreston at gmail.com. And uh, be sure to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. And be sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had chance to fix it instead it's all jacked up see how i'll write on facebook about you don't underestimate the things that i will do there was a fire
It'll be completely done. 